the 10 best side hustles of 2023. What's up, what's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to The Side Hustle Show, a member of the Entrepreneur Podcast Network because your nine to five may make you a living and from five to nine makes you alive. We're about to turn the calendar to a new year, but before we do, I wanna share some of the most popular slash most exciting slash most helpful slash most interesting ideas and episodes from the last 12 months on The Side Hustle Show. Did your favorites make the cut? I'll do my best to reference the episode number for each of these, but if you want an easy way to check out all the episodes, I created a Spotify playlist with all of those included. I'll link that up in the episode description. Or what you can do is go to hustle.show, answer a few short multiple choice questions, and I'll build you your own personalized playlist with the episodes that are going to be most helpful to you based on your answers. So you've got a couple options there, the public best of the year playlist or hustle.show to get one customized to you. Number one on this list is Ryan Golgoski's recurring web design service. So web design is traditionally sold as a one-off project and sometimes a pretty expensive one. In episode 550, Ryan Golgoski from 180sites.com turned that model on its head by selling web design to a specific audience, mostly pressure washing businesses, if you can believe that. And instead of charging a lot of money up front, he charged a much more approachable price on a two-year monthly subscription, usually between $180 and $250. I think it was originally priced at $180, hence the, the name 180 Sites. And that includes the web design, the hosting, the maintenance. And you know, if the business has any change requests, his uh, business would take care of that for his customers. And it's working out incredibly well. December was a milestone month. So we just broke the threshold doing six figures in a single month. This year alone, just in our accounts receivable, obviously we have to host and manage and maintain our websites. But even if we didn't sign up a single customer this year, we already have over a million dollars in accounts receivable. Already spoken for. And that's, isn't that incredible? The other thing that's cool about Ryan's business is that by operating in a specific niche, he didn't have to reinvent the wheel with every new client, starting from zero on a design standpoint is what I mean by that. Instead, he's got just a handful of templates or themes to work from. So each new project doesn't cost a lot of time or money to fulfill. Still, like any new company, he faced the awareness problem in the early days of how to get in front of potential customers. Here's how he tackled that. Getting started, mainly what I did was I joined as many Facebook groups as I could that were related to home service providers. I just scoured the posts. So I searched through the groups, anything that was related to web, anything related to marketing, or anything at all related to their business that I could speak to. I would just try to provide as much value as possible. And then even like try to provide some little free things that I could to them. And that just got my name out there. It built trust. And that's how I got people to know, like, and, and trust me in the early stages. Going to find where your target customers are already hanging out and potentially where you can find lots of them all in one place. I think that's super smart marketing. Again, episode 550, encourage you to check out the whole interview because it was super inspiring. Ryan wrapped up the episode with this advice. For business owners, 99% of you are in a crowded space. So if you've created a new category, then kudos to you. You're going to be a billionaire probably. But for normal people, you're working in a crowded space. There's tons of competition. You really, really need to focus on differentiating your service. You might change your product or your service or 
Maybe you won't. Maybe your product and service is exactly the same, but you need to differentiate your message. You have to make yourself different in a crowded space or else nobody is going to just think anything of you. Even for example, like with my service, there are some things that we try to do to differentiate our actual product, but just the payment model itself is a differentiation. 99% of web designers don't do this. So that in and of itself inherently sticks us out. You know, we're different. And finding yourself a niche as well, that will instantly differentiate you. If you are speaking to an exact category and their exact problems and providing a benefit to their exact issue, and somebody else does the same exact service, but they just broadly advertise that to everybody else, they're going to choose you. (laughs) Again, that's episode 550 with Ryan Golgoski. Go check it out if you missed it. Number two on our list of the best side hustles of the year is Lenny Tim's mobility scooter rentals, which was doing around three grand a month when we recorded. So Lenny approached this from thinking about what kinds of equipment have this combination of relatively steady demand and a high daily or weekly rate rental rate compared to the purchase price of that equipment. So you can break even and start to turn a profit on your inventory investment pretty quickly. So for Lenny in episode 564, and you can find him on the Struggling Entrepreneur YouTube channel, Mobility Scooters was the product that fit that bill. He didn't go out and buy one right away though. Instead, he found a low cost way to validate the demand. When I came up with the idea, it was back in 2019. My first thing was to just build a website just to see if there's a demand. I wanted to see if there's a demand for these scooter rentals. I didn't go out to buy any equipment. I didn't do anything like that. So that's pretty much how I started, just to build out a really nice website, just to see if I'm getting customers, if people are going to call, if people are going to make any requests before I actually go out and buy anything or commit to the business. Did you do anything specifically on the SEO front to build backlinks, to build the Google business profile, to do anything other other than just having like the exact what somebody might be searching for in the URL and then in the content on the site itself? Well, first of all, the name, LA Mobility Scooter Rental. So I tried to get a domain that's going to match, I guess, search pretty good. I didn't really do anything special. I don't know much about SEO. I just built a website. I did as much back-end SEO as I could. Whatever they asked me to fill out, I filled it all in. You know, mobility scooter rentals, mobility scooters, all that kind of stuff. Put some good pictures, put up as much info as I could. I'm pretty sure I opened up a uh, Google My Business page right away. And I may have did the Yelp as well at the same time, but that's pretty much it. Did you have a metric in mind? Well, if I get five requests a month, then I'm doing it or something like that. Probably more than that. Yeah, I definitely had something in mind where I would want to make decent money and it would probably have to be several requests a day. During this time, Lenny would reply to customers and say, hey, sorry, we're booked up for those dates or I don't have the inventory available right now. And only after hitting that critical mass of inquiries did he go out and buy his first scooter. And he did that in a lean startup way as well. So a brand new scooter, the ones that I'm using, and I'm using Pride. So they're really good brand, very good scooters. I would recommend them. A brand new one is about 1500 bucks right now. A little less, a little more. But I actually bought mine used. And I look for about 500 bucks. I go on Facebook Marketplace or any other local marketplace. And I'm looking to get it for about 500 bucks. So as you can see, I pretty much count my money back within one, two, three rentals. 
Definitely a fun side hustle idea and one that at least one listener has taken action on. Hey, Nick, Brian Routenberg here in Minneapolis with Minnesota Mobility Rentals. And I wanted to share an update with you on my mobility products rental business. Late last summer, I listened to your mobility scooter rental episode, and I thought I'd do some research on the market opportunity here. While doing this research, I came across a company called Cloud of Goods. They basically rely on individuals in markets to own and deliver products geared towards travelers. It's a rev share model where they do the Google, Facebook marketing, handle the rental transaction, payment, and then post the order in an app for partners to accept or decline. The largest portion of their product offering is in the mobility space. Think scooters, wheelchairs, power chairs, and some other various medical equipment. I decided to partner with them, bought a scooter, and then had my first order the very next day. The order frequency continued to be steady and requests were coming in on a regular basis, sometimes three or four per day. With that said, I started thinking I could do this on my own, build my own brand and business, and keep 100% of the rental. I formed my own LLC, Minnesota Mobility Rentals, built my website, and started to run local and national Google ad campaigns. Almost immediately, I began to receive requests from local customers as well as folks traveling into the Twin Cities looking to rent mobility products. Now about four full months in, have about 10 scooters, 10 wheelchairs, uh, both electric and manual, and a few power chairs as well. Uh, I kind of thought things would slow down here and come the winter months, it gets uh, a little bit chilly outside, but November was my best month to date with about $4,500 in rentals. August, September, and October average right around $3,500 a month. Hoping that someday maybe this transitions from my 5 to 9 becomes my 9 to 5. Thanks again, Nick, for the great content and inspiration that your show so graciously provides to your listeners. Appreciate all that you do. Take care. How cool is that? Side hustle show, making people money. Make sure to go check out episode 564 with Lenny to learn more about the equipment rental business. And big thanks to Brian for sharing that clip as well. Side hustle number three on our list of the best side hustles of the year is Shelly Marmer's portfolio of travel blogs, which when we recorded was earning $50,000 a month. So in episode 573, we met Shelly Marmer. Her main site was travelmexicosolo.com. And she had a small portfolio of other Mexico-centered travel sites. But every time I hear that blogging is dead or niche sites are dead, another Shelly comes along and throws all of that out the window. Here's how she described a couple important early realizations about blogging as a business. So I started it and I started it probably how anyone would start a blog, which is like writing about me traveling around Mexico. But the reality is that nobody cares about me traveling around Mexico. They care about how I can help them travel Mexico, right? So like I said, I joined all these Facebook groups and I was networking with other travel bloggers. I even met a couple Mexico bloggers. Well, not really Mexico, strictly Mexico, but they were based in Mexico. So I started developing like even more like deeper relationships with them just because of our common country. And the best piece of advice I got early on was to take a course. So I started enrolling in blogging courses right away. Luckily, I did have the budget to be able to do that. And I understand that not everybody does, but I did. And that's really, I think, the only reason that you wanted me on your podcast today, that people think blogging is one thing, but it's not. And I tell people it's more of a science than an art. There's a formula. We're essentially just trying to please the Google gods. And there's a certain way that the Google gods want to be pleased. The whole episode with Shelly is a case study in affiliate marketing and SEO. But one thing I thought was helpful was Shelly's angle of putting yourself in your reader's shoes, thinking of what they need or want and getting super specific with long tail keywords, especially when you're just starting out. 
Yeah. I mean, I think general travel stuff, right? So what do travelers need? They need somewhere to stay, right? So like hotels, that's like big keywords. Then they need things to do. So things to do in X place is always a big one. Those tend to be competitive. But then you can go what's called like a long tail keyword. So it would be like things to do in Cozumel. That's a city in Mexico with kids or things to do in Cozumel when it rains, right? Because it's like an island. So people are like, what do I do in the rain? Or things to do in Cozumel at night, like those kinds of things make it like... So that's where you're going to find the unicorns. You're not going to find them with like the big keywords. But yeah, it's just travel blogging keywords are what travelers want or need. So hotels, travel insurance, packing tips, things to do, tours, the must-see sites. Is it safe? Safety is big with Mexico, but that's not going to be every country necessarily. I think it does come up for most countries, but Mexico for sure. Yeah, that's helpful. So looking at maybe that high-level keyword is things to do in Cozumel, but adding a qualifier, adding something to it to make it It's going to have lower search volume, but it's also going to be a lot less competitive. And that's kind of for a new website owner. It's like, I'm trying to get that toehold. I'm trying to just get something to rank on page one. And then I can kind of build out my library of content from there. But like a lot of online businesses, especially websites, revenue didn't happen for Shelly overnight. Yeah, you said wasn't making any money that first year, but things started to pick up in year two. (laughs) if you ask anybody like, Hey, I've been at this business for nine months and I've got no revenue or nothing to show for it. Like what kept you going during that time? Never wanting to ask a boss for the day off ever again. Yes, this was me. (laughs) This was me at my corporate job. And he was never the boss that said no, but it was just like, it felt kind of just like like, a child. Like I felt like a child. (laughs) I I just rubbed me the wrong way. Can I go to the bathroom? Like that's how I felt. (laughs) I don't know. Totally. Like that's, I don't know. Like it just infantile, infantilized. I'm not sure if that's a word. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It was just like, it was literal sheer determination. And a lot of people will talk about this in like the business development or personal development, like know your why. And I knew my why I knew I couldn't live a happy life. Like using an alarm clock every day, asking a boss for permission, like not being in control of my own agency. I love it. And I know you will too, if you missed that one. Again, episode 573 with Shelly Marmer from Travel Mexico Solo in the archives. And that one was number three on our list of the top 10 side hustles of 2023. Now, you know, some days I feel like being a business owner is really like being the firefighter in chief, just dealing with all the issues and responsibilities that come with the job. If that sounds a little too familiar, one way to make life a little bit easier is to take advantage of our sponsor, Gusto's Payroll and HR Services. This is designed specifically for side hustlers and small business owners. Gusto takes the pain out of running a business by automatically calculating paychecks, by filing your payroll taxes, by handling onboarding and benefits to take the best care of your team, whether they're 1099 or W-2 workers. Plus, Gusto comes with on-demand access to HR experts. So if anything comes up, if any other fires need putting out, you've got someone in your corner. And how about some safety in numbers? Gusto is trusted by over 300,000 small businesses like yours, and 94% of them would recommend it to a friend. And three out of four customers say it takes less than 10 minutes to run payroll, which means a lot more time to focus on the stuff you love and the stuff that drives results. Now, here's the best part. As a side hustle show listener, you get three months totally free. 
All you have to do is go to gusto.com slash side hustle. Again, that's gusto, G-U-S-T-O dot com slash side hustle. You're going to love it. Head over to gusto.com slash side hustle to claim that offer and get started today. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes. T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. Side hustle number four on this list is a new income stream for me this year and what still stands as the easiest money I've ever made online and that's the Amazon Influencer Program. I expect to finish the year at a little over $1,200 all from uploading simple unedited product review videos to Amazon, stuff that's lying around our house. But that pales in comparison to some other listeners who are making that much or more every month. And how this program works is you upload these product review videos after you apply to the program. And if somebody watches your video that they put on the product review page, no external marketing needed, they're going to share a portion of the proceeds, uh, you know, share a tiny bit of commission on that sale with you saying, hey, Thanks for helping us close this deal. We'll share a little bit of the commission. Here's John Chorus from episode 562 on what kind of products you can review. My recommendation is for everyone to definitely first exhaust all the items that you have currently within your household. Even if you didn't buy from Amazon, to my surprise, like some of my most top performing highest earning videos came actually as gifts. And I didn't even know that they were on Amazon. I can recall one experience when I was moving out of one of my apartments, there was an individual who was giving away like shelves and tables. And those, I just checked if it was on Amazon like about two months ago and ended up being it. And those are my best performing videos. So you'd be surprised what products you have that you didn't know were actually on Amazon and they could be hidden gems. So as far as prioritization goes, ideally you want to go for products that are higher priced just because the commissions on Amazon, they're fairly, fairly low. Like I think on average, I'm getting like around two to 4% commissions on products purchased. That in addition to ideally products which don't have a lot of videos tied to them. And then lastly, again, even if the product is very, very popular, take for example, a MacBook or any Apple product, I still choose to review those. And I still actually have received commissions on very, very popular products just like that. And with a $2,000 laptop, getting even one sale is a lot It's a pretty decent commission when it comes to the Amazon Influencer Program. So even if you know it's popular, like I've reviewed books, I've reviewed games, I've reviewed um, food items, supplements, the wide variety, like really think out of the box. It doesn't have to just be tangible items. It can be a lot of different things. After you've exhausted everything in your house, 
You can review products that your friends or families own. You can buy products specifically to review, especially if those products don't currently have any video reviews, meaning you could be the first to post one. And what you might find is that companies start to reach out to you and offering to send you stuff for free to review, which is what happened to Tyler Christensen in that same episode. The longer you're an Amazon influencer and the more videos you've posted, the more you're going to have companies reaching out to you and saying, will you please review our product? And they'll send it to you for free or even give you a commission. And so now I've had offers to get office chairs and other things that I wanted to buy anyways. And they're sending them to me for free. Today, I'm doing some gym equipment. I'm doing a weed whacker and people are just sending me this stuff. It starts to get overwhelming where you're getting 10, 15 requests a day. And have to say, yeah, I just can't do it if you pay me a 100 bucks, maybe. And then people will say, okay, we'll do that. The Amazon Influencer Program is something that you have to apply for and include your social media accounts in that application. It's not public, at least to my knowledge, the minimum level of followers that they're looking for. But it seems like they're really trying to crowdsource user feedback for their product pages to make those stickier to improve conversion rates. So my guess is the threshold isn't super high. At the time of that recording, episode 562, both John and Tyler were earning around two grand a month in influencer commissions. Tyler sent me a note just this week saying that he earned over $8,000 in November. So the Q4 rush is very, very real. And I've heard from other listeners as well that they've unlocked 10 grand plus in incremental revenue just from these simple videos. Now, long-term, as the program gets more saturated, I imagine the production quality is gonna have to improve a bit to stand out, but as of today, I'm still getting views and sales on videos that would make any serious YouTuber cringe from a production quality standpoint. But that's the Amazon Influencer Program side hustle number four on our list of the top 10 side hustles of 2023. We're taking it offline for side hustle number five, and that's Cody Smith's pet waste removal business in the Denver, Colorado area. Actually, we're only taking it partially offline because while he was doing multiple six figures of boots on the ground work, a big portion of that business came from his intentional online approach. So whether or not you care to pick up dog poop as your side hustle, episode 555 with Cody is worth a listen if you run any sort of local service because it really is a killer case study in local SEO. You know, the main goal was to rank on Google get in Google Maps. I knew in order to do that, I had to have other sites already created that had my map. Map is name, address, and phone number. It's your citation. So I had to have as many of those around as possible before I started setting up my Google My Business or Google Business Profile. I basically just started getting out there and, and putting the words out, did some Facebook stuff. And then once I was ready, I created my Google Business Profile. When you say did some Facebook stuff, what do you mean by that? So I created pages. Everybody knows create a Facebook business page. So I did that. And when you start a new business and you have nobody following it, no content in there, and if someone stumbles across your service and they go and take a look at it, first thing they see is, well, nobody's following this and there's no content on here. Who the heck are these people? <laughs> yeah. So I started reaching it almost, out. It almost looks worse than like having nothing at all. Right. So I started building that out. And when I say build out, I optimize it with my main keywords, the services. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, these are the same things I'm going to be listed on my Google business profile because it all kind of needs to match. Cody went on to explain his whole process for building local citation backlinks, for ranking for all the nearby cities, 
and for collecting reviews a little too deep in the weeds to get into in this episode, but really powerful stuff. That's episode 555 for your local SEO masterclass. Side hustle number six on this list was Hannah Ingram's buying a cash flow business with no money down. This is the million dollar personal finance question. Okay, how can I get enough monthly cash flow to fund my lifestyle, ideally without selling my soul to a job that I hate? That's Rich Dad Poor Dad 101, right? Once income from assets you control exceeds your monthly expenses, you're free. And there are lots of different approaches, but one of the most inspiring ones in recent memory came from Hannah Ingram in episode 571. At 23, she went out and found a self-service car wash and figured out how to buy it with seller financing and no money down. So I was like, man, I am not going to work until I die. Like (laughs) I'm going to be retired by the time I'm 30, you know? So I was like, okay, I sat down. I was like, what businesses are actually making money? You know, if I'm at the gym, if I'm hanging out with friends, if I'm out selling real estate, showing a house or whatever. And that's when I was like, okay, car washes, laundromats, storage unit facilities. So like those were like the three that I really went hard and put a focus on trying to acquire. Where were you shopping? I was looking around like on loopnet.com, crexy.com. I was doing driving for dollars, kind of like the whole wholesaling method, but with businesses and just scouring the internet. Can I pause you? What do you mean by driving for dollars? So driving for dollars, I was like driving around looking for kind of like ran down businesses and I would slide a note under the door, okay, you know, with my number on it, asking if they're interested. Yeah. If they're like, the building is still there, but they're not, it doesn't appear that they're operational. That or it looks really ran down because I'm trying to find a motivated seller. So I'm trying to find one that's ran down that doesn't look like it's been in business for a while or whatever. Okay. And so you come across, so uh, LoopNet is one that I've heard of. Crexy is new to me. And so I was just, you know, looking around what what might be available. <laughs> found a car wash for me, but they're asking $2.4 million in Seattle. They're like, uh, and it still looks kind of run down. It's like, it's marked as like a development project thing. So... Was it through one of those searches or how did you come across the property that you landed on? So I've been searching for forever. And apparently this car wash had just hit the market. I didn't even know it was listed yet. And a friend of mine told me about it because I had mentioned it to her. And she told me, she was like, hey, this one's for sale. It's in my same town. So I just hadn't seen it yet, but it was like up for sale. I just had not actually laid eyes on it being listed yet. Okay. That's great. So what's your next step? Next step was I contacted the sellers, took a tour of the property, got the financials, made sure this thing was actually making money. Then we went from there. So what was the sticker price? Or do you remember what the sticker price was? It was 150K and I talked them down to 140. So I got it for 140K. And that's based on a multiple of their last 12 to 24 months of earnings. I don't really know how they came up with the number, but that was just kind of what they threw out there. That's what they wanted. It included the business and the land, or was it leased on top of the land? Nope. Land, building, business, equipment, everything. Wow. I got to move to Tennessee. That sounds way better than 2.4 million. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So the owner, they want out. They've listed it for sale. But then they're thinking, hey, I'm going to get this $150,000 payday. That's a big gap between expectation and like, well, hey, I've got $2,000 in my pocket. How am I going to buy this thing? So talk to me about convincing this seller financing deal to say, hey, I'm going to take it over. I'll pay you every month out of the proceeds of the business. He's like, no, that doesn't necessarily sound that attractive if I got a cash offer on the table. 
Right, exactly. Yeah, so like I said, they wanted out of it. It was for sale. So they had a motive. They did not want it anymore. They got it passed down. They didn't want it to begin with, really, from what I could tell. So the turnaround time with me doing the creative financing method was a no-brainer for them. I could take it off of their hands in two weeks. So they wanted out of that. And then with me paying down on the loan, I cut down on the capital gains tax that they had to pay whenever we refied it, as well as like they were still getting money every month and I had already taken it off their hands. So they were very happy to let me go ahead and have it. So they didn't have to go through a 60 day closing process with like a lender underwriting, stuff like that. Yeah, I see a lot of similarities to what you call like real estate wholesaling, looking for these motivated sellers. Maybe it's a burnt out landlord. Cody Sanchez talks about lots of reasons why business owners would sell a profitable business. Like it got handed down to them. I don't have any operational experience. Maybe I live two hours away. Like I don't want to deal with this. Maybe I'm moving. Maybe just I'm, I'm done with it. I want to retire. Yep. And she talks about like the transfer of wealth from the boomer generation to Gen Z, Gen Y, and just yeah, lots of reasons why people would want to get out. That's what we're seeing a lot of the boomer generation. They're getting out of it. Kids don't want it. Maybe they're moving away. So yeah, that's definitely a big factor. From there, Hannah went on to describe some of the upgrades she made to improve the monthly income from the business and how she spends around 30 minutes a day to run it in exchange for around $5,000 a month in cash flow. And the detractors are going to say, well, congrats, you just bought yourself a job. But based on that time input, it's a $300 an hour job. So that she could hire help for and one that comes with equity should she want to turn around and resell it. So I thought that was a really cool out of the box example of inserting yourself into an income stream that's already flowing. So episode 571 for that full story with Hannah. And that was side hustle number six on our list of the best side hustles of the year. I'll be back with more of my favorite side hustle show moments right after this. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. 
Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Can you believe we made it to number seven on this list without a mention of AI yet? Well, you knew it was coming, and I know it's become a helpful part of the workflow in a lot of your businesses. One of the more creative use cases that was shared this year was from Becky Beach in episode 582, who was using AI to help generate digital product ideas and to help create them. You can actually ask ChatGPT to give you product suggestions based on your niche. So you can do a prompt, which could be, please give me, like, I'm really polite to ChatGPT. So I always say, like, please give me like 10 product ideas in the, the money saving niche for printables or digital products or just whatever. And it will spit it out. It will give you like 10 different product ideas, or you can even ask it for 20 ideas or just any, any amount you, you would want. And it gives you all these ideas, but then you can also take that data it gave you and actually go on and research for yourself to see if it's trending on Google, if any of it is doing well on Etsy. Is it, are people on Etsy getting sales with this topic? My top selling product ever was my home planner and it has lots of home organization in there, like home checklists, like organizing checklists and cleaning checklists. And I just like researched the market for a cleaning planner and it did very well. And I saw on Etsy, there was lots of other cleaning planners doing well. Home planners were also doing well. So I thought, well, maybe I could combine both like the cleaning, the organizing together and also decluttering. And I made this home planner. And it's doing so well. I've made probably like $50,000 in sales since I created it. Wow. Just on Etsy alone or combined like through your store? Oh, and- well, well, my Shopify store, like my Etsy store is fairly new. I have just 200 sales. But on my Shopify store, I make like over 10000 a month on my products alone in that store. Yeah, that's interesting. So combining a few different buyer avatars or buyer personas, like well, I'm looking for organizing, I'm looking for decluttering, I'm looking for cleaning. Okay, why don't we unbundle those. You should, of course, sell them all individually, stock, <laughs> add more SKUs to the shelf, but then also have a bundle of those and higher perceived value. I think that makes sense. When you bundle up your printables or other products, even make a course bundle or an ebook bundle, it just does so much better on Etsy, I noticed, than to just have a one-page printable because those don't sell as good and they also don't sell as much. They probably sell like a $1 or less mm, Okay, for just one page. But if you have like lots of different pages together, I do at least 30 pages in my printables, and those tend to sell a lot more. While we were live on that call, I asked ChatGPT for some digital product suggestions in the side hustle niche, and they were pretty solid. Of course, it's still on you to go build those out, make them look nice, and do the marketing for them. But at least you're not starting completely from scratch. So super popular episode with Becky, episode 582 in your archives. That's AI-assisted digital products. That's number seven on this list. Side hustle number eight is the Daily Deals affiliate business. So I really enjoyed David Paxton's story in episode 583 for a few reasons. First, it's a model that I think can be replicated across a ton of different niches. His was dailygolfsteals.com, where he was sharing the best deals on golf products every day, inspired in part by Cameron Stover, another side hustle show guest who was running a similar business in the hunting space. And second, David turned the traditional you know, wait six to 12 months to see if I get any kind of traction with an online affiliate business model. He turned that on its head by going straight to a deal hungry crowd of golfers on Reddit in this case and earned two grand in his first month. That's in contrast to 
writing dozens or hundreds of articles of content and hoping and praying that eventually you start to see some traction and traffic in Google, which I think would be difficult in this type of business anyway, because it isn't super evergreen content. It's like these time sensitive deals that may may or may not exist six months from now. And the third thing that was really impressive was David's systemization for automating and outsourcing big chunks of the business. I mean, committing to anything daily is a big challenge. I feel like committing to doing the podcast every week, there's always another Thursday coming around. So in his case, doing it daily, you got to set up some smart systems in order to make it sustainable. And here's how he described doing that early on for daily golf steals. I'd say one of the things and likening back to that first month was like, from the get-go, I was like, hey, there's something here. I don't know quite what it is. I don't know quite how big it is. But with a couple thousand dollars in the pocket, I was like, I can actually make this doable. I'm not going to be able to personally spend an hour every single day or two hours every single day sourcing deals. But I think there's a path to making this workable and kind of coming up with both processes and automation or tools that can make this doable. So we did a couple things. So one, I actually hired a couple contractors. So I reached back out to the university golf team back at my alma mater at UVA. And I said to them, I was like, hey, golf startup, trying to do something cool here. Would love some help and sourcing deals. We'll pay you all that good stuff. So I kind of reached out to one people who do the sourcing. And then a second person also on the team who was doing the upload. So every day we need to get the newsletter ready. We need to get the Reddit post ready. We need to do the social media. And basically started to get this yin and yang going in terms of people who could take over so they could take a step back from the day. So that was kind of step one was get some people in place, sort of paying them to take off some of the operational burden. And then the second piece that I did, and I'd say scrappiness is very much front and center to daily golf steals. I was like, I think there's a way that I can do this and make this smoother and actually have some backup on why this is a deal. A lot of these affiliate partners are going to provide you with catalogs. So they want you to be able to see what inventory they have, what the stock levels look like. They give you the links, the images, the descriptions, which people use in a variety of different ways. And I said to myself, like, hey, if they're giving that to me on a daily basis and they're updating it daily, there's actually something kind of an interesting, I don't call it arbitrage opportunity here, but some way to say, okay, what did yesterday's catalog look like? What did today's catalog look like? And how do they differ? Didn't write a line of Python before this, but I was like, I can probably figure this out on Stack Overflow and other methods to say, okay, let's compare those two. Where are the price drops? And where are there actually new products available? And what I was doing was basically across, I think it was about 10 different partners coming up with that list. So when my guys were looking for the deals, they could just go, they'd sort of type in the FTP, sort of pull down a sort of short list of these potential deals and then pick a handful. Not every single deal was going to be found from there, but of the seven that they're trying to target, maybe they're getting three or four. And that just cuts down the time immensely. Man, when he started talking about product catalogs and comparing yesterday's price to today's price, I was having flashbacks to my old shoe comparison shopping site. But could you do something similar in an industry that you're a part of or a hobby that you're interested in? I think Daily Golf Steals, I think his model is ripe for replication in a number of different niches. Again, episode 583 with David Paxton. Go check that one out if you missed it. That is number eight on this list. Number nine is Harry Duran. And the example is getting paid to be curious. As you know, one of the major themes of the Side Hustle Show is there's a niche for just about everything. And while it might help to have some expertise in that area, that's not even a requirement like Harry showed us in episode 586. Harry started the Vertical Farming Podcast in early 2020 as a side hustle to his podcast production agency, Fullcast. So he knew podcasting 
but he had no background in agriculture. He had no connections in that industry. He was just curious to learn more about it. And his example is number nine on this list. This is another one that I think can work in a ton of different niches. Harry set out to interview founders and leaders in the vertical farming space who probably wouldn't have given him the time of day had it just been cold email, hey, can I pick your brain? But there's something about having a podcast that reduces that barrier and gets you access that you might otherwise not have. I think what a lot of people overthink sometimes is this idea of reaching out to people and saying, oh, this person's never going to say hi. I'm a little embarrassed to ask. They don't know who I am. And the first thing I did is I whipped up Airtable, one of my favorite apps. I just started dropping in all these companies, vertical farming companies, just doing my research. Who's the CEO? Who's the founder? And building my list. Some people call it a dream 100, but people I wanted to have a conversation with. And when I started early, those early conversations, I would say, hey, I'm reaching out to name one, name two, name three, these CEOs. And people would see that. And even though I hadn't actually had the conversation with them, by virtue of them seeing that name, they're like, oh, he's going for like the big names in the space. Once those people started confirming, I would change the language. I would say, I've now confirmed a interview with so-and-so. And then obviously once I started okay, okay. Yeah, and stair-stepping. Just kind of banking on the name recognition that yeah. you know people are going to know who those other names were. Okay. And then once those started getting confirmed and scheduled, I said, I've now scheduled in an interview. So I just kept changing language. Obviously, once I recorded, I've recorded three interviews with A, B, C, and D. And where the side hustle comes in is through Harry's sponsorship packages. On a traditional cost per thousand audio impressions model, he might be earning 50 bucks an episode because it's a relatively small niche audience. But because it's such a niche audience, he's able to command premium rates and has earned an average of over $700 an episode over the life of the show. That's an incredible way to monetize your curiosity. He even landed a $9,000 sponsor before he even released an episode. And I said, for $9,000, you can sponsor the entire season. For me, a season is a quarter, 13 weeks and a quarter. Again, coming from that corporate marketing background, that's how marketing teams and departments think about their planning and budgets. And he thought about it for a couple of minutes. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so here's the punchline or the kicker. I hadn't even released an episode yet. <laughs> and so, yeah. So that was Isn't an that amazing crazy? aha moment. Like I was like, whoa, this is nuts. But I could see how they were thinking about this ability. And again, there was some surplus marketing dollars there that had to be put to work. But it's just a matter of really thinking about how can you best serve these companies in a way that they may not be served by some of their other marketing platforms. The whole episode is great. Again, that's 586 with Harry Duran. Hopefully it gets your gears turning on an out-of-the-box way to build authority and build a business in an industry that you're curious about, even if you don't have the expertise going into it built in. And rounding out this list is Lou Rice's Strapsicle, a simple silicone strap on a mission to become the number one Kindle accessory in the world. In episode 589, just a few weeks ago, she shared how inspiration struck, breastfeeding her newborn late at night, reading on her Kindle, accidentally drops the device on the baby's head. Everybody's unhappy with that situation. So she and her husband designed this simple, lightweight little strap to keep the thing on your hand when you're reading. Now, a few years ago, the play would have looked something like this. Hey, I'm going to look at the Amazon reviews for similar products, especially those with a relatively low sales rank, meaning they're actually moving volume, they're actually selling. I'm going to check the reviews to see what people don't like about them. Specifically, I'm looking at like the two and three star reviews. And then I'm going to go work with manufacturers to address those flaws. And I'm going to try and design something 
a little bit better. The end goal is to get some of that sales volume that's already happening, that's already flowing, and instead just get it flowing to your new product. It was this game of relatively low risk, proven demand, evolutionary product design, and riding a rising tide of it just plain old Amazon e-commerce with not a lot of marketing required. Amazon was going to be the primary source of traffic here. And when it worked, it really worked. You've seen lots of examples of people building pretty sizable FBA businesses, life-changing money, life-changing equity in those businesses in a relatively short period of time. But that game has shifted a bit, which is one reason I think Lose Business is so cool and kind of surprising because instead of designing that product and then going straight to Amazon, which would have made sense. It's an accessory for an Amazon product. After all, she focused all her early efforts on driving traffic and sales to her self-hosted Shopify-powered store, strapsicle.com. What we did was I was in a couple of Facebook groups, a female entrepreneurs Facebook group, and then a local Facebook group posted in there. And it went absolutely nuts in both groups. Absolutely. Like hundreds of comments, loads of support. And then people started buying. And then I also posted on LinkedIn and got a huge reaction from that. So literally, we wanted to actually not do the friends and family, please buy from us, especially as we needed to find people with Kindles. Yeah. So we went that route. Was this on Amazon or was this on strapsicle.com, like Shopify powered, like sold your standalone store? At this stage, we hadn't launched Amazon. This was strapsicle.com. So just literally through those, I think, three channels. And then obviously, I shared it on personal Instagram, etc., we got close to 100 sales, which was awesome for us because not only did it give us those customers straight away, in the Facebook groups and LinkedIn, we were able to start dialogue with our customers. And that's when I really understood the power of community building. Were these specific like Kindle fan, like book lover groups or something like that? It was just kind of, it was more general. So interestingly, it was general. It was female entrepreneurs. So there was a lot of cheering me on. And also, oh, I have a Kindle. I would love this. And then it was, I'm in Bondi Beach, Sydney. It was the local Bondi group and people could pick up from a cafe down the road. So that was where we started. But then I very quickly discovered BookTok on TikTok and that really changed the game for us as well. Tell me about BookTok. Yeah, I don't know if you know BookTok. I mean, BookTok is a huge subculture on TikTok of people who absolutely love, they have their book accounts, love their books, and then they love Kindles as well. So I learned of an affiliate strategy, go and find some micro-influencers, give them a free code. That's what I did. I spent hours, I researched all of these kind of, I wouldn't even call them influencers. They were just people who had two or 3,000 followers, maybe a bit more. I reached out to them, told them a bit about our story and offered them a sample to try. And I knew they love Kindles because I'd searched all the Kindle hashtags to find them. Okay. <laughs> so I sent the product out, absolutely loved it. And the bonus of that is I gave them a code to share with their followers. So then they were actively promoting for me sometimes daily, weekly. And then I was also gathering all this UGC content that I could then use for my own marketing. So that actually in the first three months of business really helped grow the word about Strap School. Wow. Were you like native to the TikTok platform? Like it's still a black box mystery to me. Oh, is it? <laughs> oh, I, yeah. But you're like, oh, shoot, I'm going to reach out to these micro influencers. Yeah. I'm going to send them my stuff. I'm going to get them an affiliate code. It sounds like super premeditated, super intentional, like super strategic. It wasn't at all. <laughs> 
find, I would say, Nick, I mean, Nick, you need to get on the TikTok, but <laughs> Apparently it <so>. is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the organic growth opportunities from TikTok are still so strong. And I think, look, I was just on this, I was still on mat leave. I had this time. Archie was in take care. And I was like, I'm just going to run at this. I've got two more months before I go back to work. So yeah. doing this and then seeing the traction this strategy brought, this tactic brought, I was like, keep going, keep going. I don't know if you've heard the quote from, I think it's Paul Graham, early on, do the things that don't scale. Yeah. And for me, that really stuck. It's like, spend the time, just reach out to people, people with relatively small followings love to hear from you. They probably haven't had many brands reach out. And it was only after that, did Lou and her husband and Strapsicle launch on Amazon, where Lou believes they were rewarded in the algorithm by being able to drive their own traffic. Really cool case study for anyone interested in e-commerce or product marketing, episode 589 from just a few weeks ago, if you want to go check that out. So to summarize, our top 10 side hustles of the year, number one was Ryan Golgoski's web design service, a unique pricing model, recurring pricing model, high margin agency business. Number two was renting out mobility scooters or more broadly, a niche equipment rental business. Lenny Tim was our case study in that one. Number three was Shelly Marmer's $50,000 a month portfolio of travel blogs. Every time somebody tells me blogging's dead, I keep getting examples like Shelly's. The line that stood out, hey, nobody cared about me and my travels. They cared about how I could help them travel better. Put yourself in your reader's shoes and let that dictate the keyword and content strategy. Number four was the Amazon Influencer Program. Still stands as the easiest money that I've ever made online uploading these simple product review videos. Even the kids, they made combined 40 bucks selling Legos and Squishmallows in November. And I gave them each their $20 bill. They kind of like, were like, great. I'm like, you don't understand. You just made passive income from the internet. Like, that's really hard to do. Like, a lot of people spend a ton of time on this. They're like, okay, cool. So hopefully trying to um, impress upon them what actually happened there and really getting them to recognize how cool that actually was. So that was number four, Amazon Influencer Program. Number five was a Cody Smith's pet waste removal business. But beyond that, really just a masterclass in local SEO. I consider that a must listen if you have any sort of local service business. Number six was the idea to go out and buy some cash flow. And maybe you could even do it with no money down like Hannah Ingram did with her self-service car wash in Tennessee. Number seven was AI-assisted digital products with Becky Beach. Kind of interesting use of ChatGPT in that one. Number eight was the niche daily deals service monetized with affiliate relationships, affiliate partnerships like David Paxton's dailygolfsteals.com. Number nine was Curiosity Pays, the example or the case study being Harry Duran's Vertical Farming Podcast, a really niche podcast, but has done extremely well with that. And finally, number 10 was Lou Rice's Strapsicle, a very simple Amazon accessory, a silicone strap that goes on the back of your Kindle device, selling 50 grand a month worth of those riding the back of some micro influencer marketing strategies. It was really inspiring to hear that one. So those were our top 10 side hustles of the year. If you want an easy way to check out all of those episodes, I went ahead and created a Spotify playlist with all of those included that I will link up in the episode description. Or if you want something a little more personalized, you can go to hustle.show, just answer a few short multiple choice questions, and you can build your own personalized playlist with the episodes that will be most helpful to you based on your answers. So you've got a couple different options there. There's the public best of the year playlist or hustle.show to get one customized to you. Big thanks to all our incredible guests for sharing their stories this year. We couldn't do the show without you. It really 
is inspiring to hear what you come up with. If you have a story to share, hit me up. Love to hear them. we got a full calendar coming for you in 2024. I also want to thank you for supporting the advertisers that support the show. As always, you can hit up sidehustlenation.com slash deals for all the latest offers from our sponsors in one place. It really does make a difference when you go through those links. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're finding value in the show, the greatest compliment is to share it with a friend. So why not fire up a text message right now and say, hey, check out these cool side hustle ideas. Happy New Year to you. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.